Hello, and welcome to What Do You Like, a podcast with Maria and Hunter. Hi. This is Hunter speaking. This is Maria. And with us today... We have our special guest... Hi, I'm Ross. <laughs> His name is Ross. Hi, Ross. He's my friend. I have friends. That's right. You can't bully me now, internet. <laughs> they don't. It's fine. We might get comments at some point, and this is... If you get enough listeners, maybe someday you'll have an online bully. Besides my mom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Hi, Maria's mom. Mom, you're the best. So, this week, uh, we have a topic that Ross and I are both quite fond of, and I'll turn it over to him to say what the topic is. What do you like, Ross? I like board games. Sweet. Uh Board games, board games, (laughs) board games. Board games are great. I'm going to keep <laughs> I, looking at Ross. I agree. Oh, God, guys. You're so <laughs> We're so good at this. We're so uh, I guess I don't really know the format. You want me to just you, no, gush about board games here, for a little bit? Uh, let's open up with, Ross, how did you get into board games? Like, everyone mm. as a kid, play them with your parents. You have your game nights. Sure. But there's that, and that's kind of where I am. And then there's where you guys are. <laughs> yeah, I guess when I was a kid, I played like, you know, Hasbro, yeah. like Monopoly and Life and stuff. And there was this one really cool one that I don't remember the name of, but it had like, back when they made like board games that were also toys. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like Mousetrap? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and it was like, it had this like tiki volcano and you had... I remember that. I don't know its name, but I just... You, you had to put the little jewel in your guy's yes. backpack and the bridge would shake and yes. you'd like rumble. And, yeah, I don't know cool. the name. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> I, I was going to say Fireball Island, but that oh, is not yes, Fireball yes. Island. Yes, I is also... It? Okay, no, that's different. But, okay. okay, fun story with Fireball Island, though, is when I was in high school and I worked at the tree nursery with my oh, brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of our coworkers had the old like 1970s or whatever Fireball Island, which was like $200 on eBay. But yeah. actually, just like last year, the year before, they re-released Fireball oh, Island, damn. so you can get it now. But yes, yeah. it was that That's style. Cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That's great. And we'll talk about this more. You've developed your own board game. I did once, yes. And you've had it like preliminary testing at a convention but that's more than like i've done hunter's done everybody else that i know has done so what made you want to like start that what was was there a particular game that you were just like i can either do this better or i want my own version of this i guess there are like two phases of the board game for me like when i was a kid that was when i played all the ones we just talked about and then when i was in like college maybe my sister's then boyfriend now husband he he kind of knew like all the modern games and so uh, he introduced us to carcassonne and uh, yeah. forbidden island which mm-hmm. were pretty cool and my sister actually suggested that me my mom and her make a board game and i thought that sounded like really fun because this was like during the summer sometimes so mm-hmm. like nothing yeah. going on and so we were we were making one and it just ended up being Forbidden Island with a different <laughs> skin on it. And I was like, yeah, yeah it's, it's not really... We um, took its carcass and we put a new skin on it's it. It's really hard to come up with original <laughs> it ideas. Is. It is. 
And so, so we kind of, you know, as you do during group projects, got in arguments and it didn't go anywhere. But I was still like, I want to do this. I'll do it on my own. And then I get all full authority and yeah, yeah don't and have to argue with people. It's and I my get to project. choose what I want to do. So being <laughs> totally original, I basically made Carcassonne. <laughs> but instead of with squares, it was hexagons. <laughs> You know, I actually, I want to play that now. Oh, but it was cooler, though, because it was pirate-themed. Oh, that's so even you, better. You, the, most of, like, Carcassonne, it's, like, grassy, and then there's, like, towns that fit right. in the corners. And so mine was, like, an ocean, and then you made little islands, and then you had little ship pieces that you would move Ooh. around. So Okay. I feel like it had solid mechanics, but honestly, it was kind of boring. Overstate its welcome. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it just it, it's <laughs> to get yeah. to the end it takes longer than And then it just kinda ends anticlimactically and everybody's like, Well thank God we're done with that game. <laughs> I wanna do that again. <laughs> well there's uh the the group loading ready run. No, it was Penny Arcade. Okay, it was Penny Arcade. You're thinking of tabletop deathmatch. Yes, that's it. Yeah. It was game developers partnered with designers and you know if they made it to be if they were selected to show it and they showed it to the judges and the judges played it and then they would the judges were like okay what are better mechanics some of these just have too many tiny parts this one is like too meme <laughs> There was yeah. literally one called Shut Up and Take My Money. <laughs> and they had a lot of fun, but they're like, once this meme is forgotten, no one's going to know what it means. Yeah. And it was very interesting because it opened up like what choices have to be made in order to make a good game and one that's like keeps people interested in terms of mechanics and story wise. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's a good series. It does a lot of talking about more of the finances of why board games work because you know you have 400 pieces you can't put that in a box and then make it work with what all the other parts have like that's really challenging yeah Yeah. and that's actually something that i i kind of did get some experience in there's this website called oh shoot i can't remember the name now it's actually based in madison it's this company where you can upload like pdfs and they you can get punch outs oh and like manufacture your own board game i'm blanking on the name right now this sounds familiar and we'll think of it at some point but yeah. yeah and then just shout it out link randomly. it in the show notes they always say <laughs> yes. yeah that's that right we'll put a link in the show but notes. you can get like just like generic meeples and stuff and yeah. that was kind of one of the things was like i wasn't really looking to make money with mine but i did have the intent of like people getting their hands on it if they wanted it yeah, I, yeah. I knew it would never be like published it but like you can publish it publish in quotes yeah on this website and then people can pay for it and and have it shipped to them but like even if you're selling it at cost you have to think about well how many sheets is it going to take to print on yep. is it going to fit in the box that i chose mm-hmm. you don't really want to have a ton of parts for the very reasons you're talking about yep. and especially on a website like this where like everybody knows it's just average joe's making yeah. these and they're not really yeah. play tested and they're probably not great so like if you're paying more than ten dollars or you're charging more than ten dollars no one's gonna pay no, that yeah. right it's not worth it at that point yeah but it's, if it's five bucks eh, 
eh, why not? Throw it in. Maybe it's okay. Maybe you get three or four plays out of it. That's not so bad. Like, yeah. Comparing that to something like a movie where it's like, oh, I'm going to pay $12 for two hours of entertainment. This kind of reminds me, the worst board game I have ever played <laughs> is, well, it's like the Great Lakes Race. Oh, it's Isle Royal Adventures, and I don't think it's as bad as Maria makes it out. I did not get <laughs> off the start. So You I... had to roll a six or a one to get off the start, and I did not get off the start. <laughs> it is a very, very old game that I suspect was made more for tourism than as an actual game. It's cute in the idea that they sell it in like that in the Great Lakes area. You know, you probably can only get it there. It's a nice little piece of memorabilia. I just gave up. I was like, every time it was my turn, I'd be like, three, just pass the die over and be like, when this game is finally fucking over, we can play, <laughs> we can play gin rum, we can play Michigan rummy, and I can get beaten fair and square. <laughs> it's a roll and move game, which already, for people who really like board games, definitely is a problem. That's, yeah, it's the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> yeah, it's, ooh, it's to step up from Candyland, but not much beyond that. There's not a lot of interesting decisions, and I do genuinely think that's the key with board games, is you have to be making at least somewhat interesting decisions. If you're not thinking about it, wh what are we doing here? I completely agree. Yeah, so Carcassonne started your whole, like, ideas of how to develop games. What do you think is, for you, what do you consider, like, the perfect game, and, like, why? I really like... The game Azul, which is this oh, one. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's like th the theme doesn't really matter. The theme there is, is no like theme. you're you're building a mosaic and yes. sometimes you drop tiles on the floor. But like the game is this abstract game where you have to take these really like satisfyingly chunky yes. tiles. I think they're made out of the same materials like dice maybe. Yeah. Oh. They're like a okay. heavier plastic-y thing. Yeah. There's something very, you're right, something very satisfying about having like nice pieces like. Yeah. Oh. These ones like they, you put them all in a bag, you shake them up and then you take them out and you have to like make these patterns that get you points and stuff. Yeah. But I like that one a lot because kind of two reasons. For me it's like the right complexity level when you get into the really heavy games, like they're, they're fun, but I like to just be able to play a casual game. And yeah. it's one I can go back to and not have to reread the rules of how to play it. And the really big ones, it's like, I swear every single time I'm reading through the rule book. You realize you've played this wrong for, you know, four years <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, this makes way more sense now. Or wait, that rule doesn't make any sense. And you just have to kind of roll with it. Yeah. You know, if you can make it work as house rules, as long as you play with the same people, it doesn't matter. That's the problem. The people I play with, I have more than one group. They always want to play a new game every time. Like, and I'm just like, to learn it? oh, I just, yeah, I don't want to learn. Yeah. <laughs> it's so many things. It's so much brain power. Why? Mm. No. Yeah, like we have probably talked about this in the D&D &D podcast episode, but we have a game called Arkham Horror. The Arkham Horror, the living card game. Yes, but it's kind of like a board game because you have like places that you move your person to and you um, have to fight monsters. But unfortunately, like most things Lovecraftian, it is really hard <laughs> to survive because once the monsters start appearing, it's just like 
oh no. And then another one shows up and it's just, you can't kill them. It's like, they are too strong. The only way you survive is you run. And they're sometimes like, well, now you have to keep this normal person alive. And it's like, no, I don't want to keep him alive. I need to save myself. I can't save him. <laughs> He's toast. No. But it's not quite a board game. Not like what we're, not quite the same. It's, it is a living card game, but, and it is like the way success or failure is based off of like pulling stuff out of a bag. Yeah. Mm. It's it, effectively a multi-sided die, but one that you can weight in any way that you want. So in the booklet, they give you different weights on how challenging you want to make it. If you want to just experience the story, you make it a lot easier. You make it a lot more likely that you will succeed at stuff. If you want a really challenging game, for some reason, you can do that. I'm, I'm being a little bit mean to people who play this game a lot, but <laughs> I, I do understand sometimes you want to make it a challenge. But I've looked at the challenge for one of them and gone... I don't see how you'd ever succeed. The first scenario is really hard. So the way we started playing it was my mom and sister had the first version of it. And we Hunter and I found it when we were visiting. And I was like, oh, this seems fun. It's for one to two players. And mom's like, yeah, uh, we tried that. It sucks. <laughs> it's super challenging. It's super it's like, challenging. What? No, we're smart people. We started playing it. It's also a deck building game because it is a card game. And more, and you get more cards. So then you have to decide which cards do you put in and take out. And the first time we played it, we're like, and we're both dead. Let's play it. We try it again. And we're dead again. And so then we're like, so then we bought it here. And that's literally all we did for one Christmas, like the first Christmas of the pandemic. That's all we did was play Arkham Horror. And so my stepfather's like, I bought all of these expansion packs for your mother because she, but now she doesn't want them. Do you want them? It was nine boxes worth of stuff. It's so much. Sounds like a full collection. Yeah, yes. it, it is a fun game. I think that we just haven't quite had it fully click for us. And there are games where it just won't click. Like there is no shame in saying like, man, this game seems really cool. Nope, this is not a game for me. I really like it though. I, I love all, most things Lovecraftian. It is fun because it is a story that you're experiencing and it's just a really fun game even though everyone is scared. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I played Eldritch Horror once. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I remember about it. It was, come, it was, it was almost more like reading a book yes. than playing a game, which was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Those are super neat and like really story-based games are a lot of fun even if they don't necessarily have a ton of replayability. But something like Azul, because there is no story, it is so replayable. And then as you play more and more Azul, you start seeing the like, wait, if I take this, then my opponent has to take something else and it's really bad for them. And then you start getting into the hate drafting part of it. Uh -huh. And then everyone starts to realize that, oh, this game is really mean. <laughs> Depending on who you play with. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the, the other thing that I, I really like about it is it's so uh, elegant in like how the setup is. Yes. Yeah. Because because a mechanic of the game is putting the tiles in the bag, which is how you put them back in the box. Yeah. So like you're always good to go. You don't have to fiddle with the setup every time. You just like pull it out and start playing. Pull out the bags. 
dump out however many pieces. It's four pieces for each of the wheels, and then there's, what, five wheels for a two-player game? Yeah, more, like more per, more players. Yeah, and it's, it's very clean. Weirdly, I've never played that in person, but I've played it online. And even online, it has a really nice tactility of, like, I'm building out this wall. I'm building out this um, whole thing. Yeah, and that's why I like to call this one out, because, like, a, another game that I love almost as much is King Domino. Yeah, and King one, Domino's great. I've primarily played online, yep. and, and that will do do all the tile moving for you. And I yes. bought the physical game, and then I was like, oh, this is actually, like, a lot more fiddly than I'm used to. It's yes. not bad, but like, you know, you have to arrange them in like order of highest to lowest. Yeah. And you yes. can't bump the table. You have to make sure everything's locked in. Yeah. There's no like grid that you put your tiles yes. on already. So that was something that like I should have known intuitively, but Azul is as clean in the physical copy yes. as it is online. That's a good question. Online board games. Uh-huh. It sounds like yay in most cases. I, I like them. I mean, okay. so some of them, I guess the hardest part for me, I, I typically use Tabletop Simulator. Okay. There, there's a couple of different yeah. ones. And some of them, Tabletop Simulator especially, I have played Board Game Arena and it's much better about this. But like, yes. trying to like click on a deck and get just the top, top card, card is yeah. like so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Board Game Arena does a very good job at sort of leveling it out. But I also think that in some cases, it levels out so much that it almost pulls away some of what makes the game interesting. Because it just kind of makes it so seamless and so smooth that you're only getting some of the parts and it feels a little weird. It's it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah. Especially, like, on the positive side, I played Terra Mystica on Board Game Arena, which is a pretty big game. It's got a lot of math you have to keep track of yes. during it okay and so when you're playing online it does all that for you yes. and it'll say you can't do this <laughs> because you haven't yep. done this other thing and it's much easier online yes. for that reason but yeah <laughs> i think there are a lot of games that are easier online and then switching back to playing them in person is a bit of a transition yeah the one i come back to is ticket to ride i play a lot of ticket to ride on board game arena and it keeps track of the number of cards your opponents have the number of tickets your opponents have it's a lot clearer with what's where so playing in person it's a lot harder to look over the table count the number of trains your opponent has and be like you have eight trains left and 10 cards in hand this could be the last turn of the game and that information's really important if you're trying to play as efficiently as possible. Because I'm a degenerate and extremely competitive. <laughs> oh my god. We played Which is not great. <laughs> we we brought we had Ticket to Ride or there's a Ticket to Ride version. We were I think it was like over one holiday and we were visiting his grandparents. I played a game early, you know, in the afternoon and with the everybody and I was like, Yeah, it was fun, I'm gonna go, you know. So later that night, I like fell asleep on the couch and I wake up and everyone's just angry at each other. Yeah. <laughs> they played Ticket to Ride again. It was <laughs> it very <laughs> competitive. My family is very competitive and really likes games, which is both really good. But we aren't always great about recognizing 
this is competitive versus this is fun. There were other factors and everyone was a little overtired because it had been a really it long day. It was a day. long day. It had been like we had gone snowshoeing, so everyone is exhausted. And, and it's Christmas. And that's yeah. automatically stressful. Everyone was a little stressed out and we didn't quite realize how stressed out people were. But it, was, it was very confusing to wake up to and just everyone is mad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Happy holidays! Yeah. I would say Ticket to Ride is probably the game that I have played close to the most, or Welcome to. Welcome to is super, super fun. I really enjoy that. That is a roll and write game. Basically, you get a deck of cards, you flip over three cards, and then you have to fill in your little suburb with the different cards that you get. Each card has a number and some improvement that you build to the road or to the city. So you have to figure out how much space you have per number and then how much space you need to finish all these other building plans. It's really, really fun. I really enjoy that. That's a game that I'm basically almost always down to play. So Ross... What's your go-to? Like, It'd be Azul and King Domino. Okay, and, nice. and we do play, I play with my sister quite a lot. We, we play a lot of Splendor, too. Ooh, I've heard good things about Splendor. I need I to try that I have played Welcome, too. Okay. One time. It's pretty good. What do you it's think? It's good. So good? I'm not as big of a gaming aficionado. I think it also has to do with, like, sometimes if it is a new game, I'm just like, I don't have the mental capacity at this point. I do feel like I'm doing a pretty poor job here in audio format of explaining what these are for people who haven't heard them. We're just name dropping. Hey! Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's like the excitement can usually like help with that. And I, I, I can get an idea of how Azul is played based on that. And that seems to be like a pretty perfect game. And yeah. If you are looking for a game that you can teach to anyone, Azul is definitely up there. King Domino, also pretty easy to learn, but has a lot of strategic depth. Really, really good. Those are both games that I think if you are interested in modern board games, they're good choices to get into. Ticket to Ride's another really good one. Ticket to Ride's like, it's easy to pick up. It takes a lot of time to like fully understand the strategy. And then sometimes you have like the games, like the one that we're probably going to try to learn later, which is Scythe. If I'm looking at the cover correctly, Russian serfdom combined with like tech, <laughs> the technological apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, it's like a alternate reality for Eurasia, mostly Europe. I think it's supposed to be, like, during World War One-ish. Yeah. But it has, like, mechs and stuff like that. Yeah. Fun fact, if you play the quasi-Polish team, I think, they, they have the bear. So, so each Ooh, faction yeah. in this game is, like, a hero with an animal, and that's, like, the leader. And, and this one has this bear, Wojtek or something? Yeah, Wojtek. I'm probably something. butchering that pronunciation. It's Polish, so yeah. Oh yeah, Polish, yes. Did I yeah. say that? Yes. Yeah, you did. Yeah, okay. That was a real bear. Oh, In yes. the real war. That's right. Was, did you, were you the one who told me this? No, definitely not. Oh, I, yeah. I like, this story. was like legit. He was like with the Polish army. And yeah. like was like got a I don't I'm he not was the military got like a battalion number or whatever yeah, was like he was one of the guys <laughs> Sergeant Wojcik and it was like got promoted above like base rank and like moved up the ranks for a bit because yes. why not 
So that's pretty cool. I don't know if any of the other animals in that game are legit, but that one yeah. was a real thing. It's awesome. It's, <laughs> um, there's a peng- uh, penguin in Norway who is outranks like everyone but the king or something. Like, he's a mascot for the army, but has a hilariously high rank. Norwe- Norwegians are uh, funny like that. Yeah, it's doubly funny because it's a penguin in Norway. Where they are not native. (laughs) (laughs) They have snow. But yeah, Scythe is that level of game that I was talking about of like, now we're into what I would consider complex. And that's not a bad thing. But it's like, I can only keep so many rule sets of complex games in my brain at a time. Yeah. And Scythe is one of, or or my favorite of like that level of game. But is it like Risk? A better version of Risk, would you uh, I say? I wouldn't say so. It's actually got very little combat. Okay. So one of the cool things about it is that it, it treats military might as just another resource. Okay. Yeah. And That's so good. you you build it up and that makes you more threatening. But then if you go to war with someone, you spend it. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the totem pole. So like usually there's only like one or two battles per game. And it's a lot of just, like, worker placement, building your engine. And Mm -hmm. it's got that big hex map. But, like, honestly, I rarely make it to the middle. Right. (laughs) It's really slow moving. (laughs) I will say, like, two episodes ago, like, there's a show we like to watch called Quirp Line, where small town weird news, but everyone's insane. They have a game developer named... uh, Klaus de Brucio? Klaus de Brucio, yeah. And he says, Oh, after my previous big hit, surfs up the game of medieval servitude. (laughs) I was like, I want that game. It was pretty good. (laughs) It is a note-perfect parody of board games. Because the game he's pitching is Friendship Island, a game about being friends. It's a cooperative game. Also, one player doesn't play. They're the banker, and they set all of the actuarial rates. And it and all of the there's no dice in this game. All of the actions are taken out of a book. It's this thing. Yeah, it's there is a reason that joke is very very funny because there are a lot of games like that. Yes, it is like oh my god, this is so on the nose because for every like heavy in depth like scythe or like quick to learn azul like there's games like that it could be really fun if you just had the mental like fortitude which a lot of the times don't want to spend i have other interests i'm gonna be a little mean here older board games tended to be extremely heavy or not as interesting modern board games and i'm saying modern as in the past 15 ish years have kind of gone, we don't want these to be boring. We want these to be more interesting and doing other stuff. Kind of quick history thing of Pandemic is kind of the first one that I can think of in that. Would Pandemic be like the first real cooperative game that got really popular? I think it's the one that got the most popular broadly. I think there have been other cooperative games. I'm just not super familiar with them. Pandemic, for those of you who aren't aware, is a cooperative board game. So everyone is on the same side. You are trying to cure four diseases that are scattered across the world. Each turn, you have to take some actions to either treat the disease or go to cities to meet up with other people to exchange cards and exchange knowledge. So that way you can cure them later. It's really fun. That's 
probably one of the games that I'd recommend as an entry point because it's very, very strong. It's relatively simple, but it has enough weight and enough interesting decisions that there's enough body to it to make it interesting on continuous plays. I really like games that have like the quick, you know, you have your card where it gives you the options of what you have to do. That seems like something that's a little bit newer where it's like, okay, how do we make these rules that it's like you've got three options, but because of those three options, you actually have a lot of different strategies that you can do. In one turn, you get to do four different things from this list of eight. So suddenly that explodes out your decision tree and you're trying to find the like best option at this time. And then bad things happen at the end of turn and that changes what you need to do next. Pandemic's really fun. I haven't played it in a while and I forget how much I enjoy it <laughs> until I start talking about it. Do it's you, great. Do you prefer cooperative versus like combative games? I, I want to say yes, just because uh, combative games, like we were saying earlier, often make enemies of friends. Mm -hmm. But it's not that like the game itself is bad. Yeah. And usually it's okay if you have a good group. Yeah. I mean, it, it really depends on I who mean, you're like playing with. with anything. But like, it's it's kind of a problem for cooperative too, because then you yes. get what they call the commander problem, yes. which is where like one person just runs the table, and that that happens in Pandemic a lot. Great game, but like. One person can yes. run the table. Yeah. Pandemic is really bad with that. So if, you, if you're the person who's teaching Pandemic, don't do that. <laughs> Try as hard as you can to not do that. Let like, them make bad decisions. Yes. You can play again. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's easy to set up. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to set up. They'll learn more by making bad decisions and they'll see why it was bad. If you just tell them, do this, this, and this, they are losing their agency, so they can't make decisions, and then they won't come back. It's tough. It is genuinely tough, but I think Pandemic's still super fun. But I guess I wasn't really answering the question because that was just me saying, I like to play with nice people. I mean, no, no I think that it, answers it, the question. It is, a, it is a good answer because like when you become part of games, it's like friend, people you're friends with and you like have a great time hanging out and chatting and then you play a game with them and you're just like, I will never play a game with you. <laughs> like sometimes people just get very competitive and that can really ruin the mood because it's just like I'm not having fun because you're getting upset about choices I'm yeah. making. Like you're taking That's kind of where I draw the line. It's like if you yeah. do something really mean within the bounds of the game, fine, whatever. That's part of the yeah. game. But like yeah. once you start getting upset on a personal level, yeah, yeah. that's when it's not okay. Yeah. yeah, like I am not like very competitive. You are not as competitive as my family is. You're still somewhat competitive. I, I like to win. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, ah, I don't care who wins. I do like to win if I do. But I'm so used to like my stepfather and mom are both really good at board games. And so I just grew up in a childhood where it was like, if you're third, you lose. <laughs> no one took it easy. But when we would play chess, my mom is like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to elbow you into the ground. No mercy. <laughs> and chess is one of those games where if it's an uneven match, it's so obvious. If you aren't the stronger person in that matchup, 
your entire goal is to lose as slowly as possible, which is brutal. I mean, I did, I had that, it wasn't chess, but we were playing um, some kind of like boardish board game with some of the guys he plays magic with. And I knew, and I walked into it and I was like, I don't play as much magic or board games as these people. They are very good at like picking up rules quick. And so I was like, I'm not sure what I'm doing. However, I can make it fucking hard for this guy to to win. And I'm going to draw this out as long as possible. You just reminded me, I have the perfect example of like, such a dick move outside of the game. <laughs> which I believe I've actually told you guys before, but for the, for the listeners sake. Yeah. I was playing Magic the Gathering for one of my first times, and I didn't have any of my own cards. And so I borrowed that. This is actually my my coworker's friend I was playing. So not a guy I knew very well. He's not the coworker's friend anymore, though. Because um, he introduced you. I don't know. <laughs> so he, he lent me a deck to use, and it had some monster that was pretty good. I don't like a 10-10 or something. Yeah. And I summoned it, and I was all proud. And he's like... Well, you're disqualified because that's not a legal card in the deck that he gave yeah. to me to use. And he was so asshole. serious. He was not joking. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like, that's, like, what'll, that's what'll scare people away from the hobby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I have purposefully rigged this so that I will win. That is so dumb. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember this story and going as somebody who wants the magic community to be slightly more welcoming. It's one of those things where it's like, no, don't. For like every it's a ten, fun game. Come on. For every ten people that are like very welcoming, it's there's one that guy. Yeah, who's definitely uh, that guy. Yeah. I will Which win sucks. at any. There's always one of them. Yes. <laughs> I and mean, Magic has a lot of them, yeah. which is a shame. You know, it's still like, if you just have, you know, your group of friends, you know, everyone has a beer or drink of choice and everyone's relaxed, pull something out. And, and then that's when you bring out Scythe and you go, are you guys ready to rumble? <laughs> well, no, if, if you truly have a group of friends that you don't want to have anymore, <laughs> you bring out Diplomacy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a game that I have never played and actually have no interest in playing. I, I have not played it, but I actually last weekend, for my second time, played Twilight Imperium, which has a lot of diplomacy in it. That can get heated even with a group of friends Please that tell you're us regulars more. with. Yeah. I <laughs> So I've never played Twilight Imperium. I've only heard about it, and I have a suspicion that I would really enjoy it, and I've just never had a, a group that's come together where they've been like, you should play this. For, for context, uh, I guess the most basic description is space risk with diplomacy. It, it takes a minimum of 10 hours to play. Yep. <laughs> That's if everyone is versed in the rules. Oh, dear. And people play this... They'll have their weekly gaming group yep. and they'll keep track of wins and whoever oh has the most, that's the drafting order for your faction for this game. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that, ooh. This is a really big game. Um, it's pretty cool, but by the end of 10 hours, everybody's, you know, pretty worn out. Yay, it's fun. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to draw that line between I'm angry at you for game purposes and I'm angry at you just because I am. Yeah. <laughs> you betrayed me eight hours. Into this 10 hour game. So I have two hours to just do one. Yeah, I think the longest game I've ever played is the board game of Civilization, the old like 2005 game. 
That's like a weekend. That's like, so 10 hours, but you can play, if you can play more than one. So for Twilight Imperium, you can play that more than once during the weekend. I mean, you, you shouldn't. You should. You it is an option because it's there's more than 10 hours in the weekend. I am not convinced I've ever actually played Civilization correctly because I've never made it past the either second or third era of four. And I have played that game for like eight or 10 hours and been nowhere near finishing the game. I remain convinced I have done something wrong somewhere because I've played the basic game and like the easier, easier air quotes version of it and been nowhere close to finishing it. It's super cool and super interesting. And the game board is at the time it was published, I believe the largest game board ever published, which is probably a bad sign. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, it was super cool. Honestly, that's how I feel about the computer game, too. I have yeah. never finished a game of Civilization. <laughs> oh, I, I You've been addicted to that. <laughs> I think I've finished like one or two of the board game or of the computer game Civilization. I've never played on, I think, higher than the second hardest difficulty because I only sort of understand how to play it and I haven't played it since college. And I don't need to really dig in further because <laughs> no, it's there's it's fun, it's a cool game, but no, I don't I don't need more than that. You played it with your roommates. I was not there over a like week break that we had, and they didn't finish it. <laughs> no, we didn't come close to finishing it. Like I think we had five people playing, and I think that is the furthest I've ever gotten, where one person made it into the medieval era. I think it was we got to the end of the break and we're just like Okay, we've spent how many I think hours? It was like it was probably twelve or fourteen hours over two or three days. We need this table back. Okay, we need this futon with no mattress on it that we're using as a table because we're college students. Don't worry about it. It was great. <laughs> Better we than need my this back. <laughs> Again, that and that's genuinely that was one of the problems with it. It's the board is so big it takes up an entire table. So you kind of have to play it in you, one session. You can't leave it set up. Or at least I couldn't leave it set up because I always had cats growing up and the cats would jump on it, knock everything over, and you'd have no idea where the cats win. was. The cats win. Yeah. In the game universe, cat, like, all of a sudden, just giant alien cats land on yeah. the ground and eat everybody. Yeah. <laughs> the weird thing, I, I've never played the Civilization board game, but the weird thing about Twilight Imperium is it's not actually more complicated than something like Scythe. Yeah. I really can't wrap my brain around why it takes so long. I mean, there's lots of wheeling and dealing diplomacy, yeah. but like probably a portion of that. each player gets maybe five turns yeah. during the whole game. That's so weird. Isn't each turn like eight parts or something like? There's like three different kinds of turns you can take. And one of those kinds okay. involves everybody. Ah, okay. And there's a certain point in the game where once somebody gets to the center of the, the board, then they introduce a new phase. Oh, okay. And that's that's, what... that's where you really have uh, like uh, you have like a speaker and you like vote on laws and stuff. So. Right. Okay. And then you have a quorum and then a banker. A quorum is eight to ten players. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really not like the, the rule book's not any bigger than yeah. than some of these other games we're talking about. So it's just kind of mind boggling to me. Yeah. I mean, like it's a big game, but like why is it that much? Like Scythe, you can play in like two to three hours. Mm -hmm. yeah. This one's like. 10 to 14. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just <laughs> games that expand outward. It's, it's super cool, but man. I'm interested in Scythe, just on like a, a almost even a theme level. And it's probably, that's probably like the most complicated game 
I would be willing to play. Like, Twilight Imperium, just with how long it is, that doesn't hold my interest. It's also like, I'm a very, I get easily drained socially. And like, when you're playing a game and you're playing against other people, that just amps that up just a little bit, just enough so that you just feel like, if you've been playing for 10 hours, you're just like, I can't. Yeah. Like socialize with you anymore. Well, and, and this it's definitely not a game that you're just like, hey, we're gonna play this. Today. Yeah, no, it is we, like plan it out. Yeah, we put it on the calendar three months in advance. <laughs> we we all bring a snack, yep. uh, do a potluck. Yep. We, yeah. I actually brought pajamas this time because yeah. the last time it went overnight. <laughs> like it's an event. It, yeah. <laughs> that does sound fun. I just would need like a break at some point. Like with the potluck. It'd be like you put the game aside every Everyone gets food, everyone talks, everyone agrees that everyone is okay. It's almost like a contract. It kind of is, yeah. <laughs> it's the social contract. And, and it is like, thankfully, I, I have a great game group where like this isn't a problem, but I've, I've had this with other things where if somebody gets tired and bails halfway through, everybody else is just... You, Screwed. Stuck at that point. Yeah, because you're like, that, especially with games like that, where it's like, that was a portion of the mechanics of how this works. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like with Candyland, if someone just, if you're playing with three people, one person ducks out. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. no one should play Candyland, not even children. This one's like, even if we're at each other's throats by the end, we're all sticking it out till the yes. end, because that's the ultimate betrayal, yeah. is going home early. Yeah. <laughs> It's a betrayal that gets you not invited back. <laughs> and I want to be invited back. And that's why I don't play those kinds of games. Because I, I would just be like, I'm doing this because I don't want to not be friends with you guys, but I'm in so much pain. Changing to maybe a happier topic. Sure, yeah, we've been kind of Debbie Downers yeah. here. Favorite mechanic from a game. I really enjoy when games do this thing. One that I you'd ask be, hard questions. One that maybe you'd be like, in a game that I would be developing, I would totally steal that. Uh, well, I, I guess if I'm just going to analyze the ones that I've said that I liked already, both Azul and King Domino sort of have like a pattern placement kind of okay. mechanic. Yeah. Like I've matching. always considered myself a visual learner, so like... Okay. Putting the yellow one next to the yellow one. <laughs> that makes you yeah. happy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is really pleasing, I guess, having that. Yeah, um, this this is totally different. I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite mechanic, but I was thinking of it when you were talking about Pandemic. There's this really yeah. cool thing that they do in that one where the cities get infected and you have to treat them. And the way the cities get infected is you draw a card from a deck. Yes. The deck is made up of cities, and if it's that city, it gets infected. Every once in a while, you draw what they call an epidemic card, or and that pandemic. makes you take all the cards that you've drawn already, shuffle them, and put them back on top yeah. of the deck. Yes. It's a good recycling mechanic. It, yes. It's clean, yeah. like yes. board-wise, and it also just like makes the tension so high because now if you get mm -hmm. an infection in a town that you haven't cleared already, like that's extra bad. Yep. Yep. And that's actually exactly the same if you've ever, ever played Forbidden Island. Ah, They're okay. designed by the same guy. Oh, it's like okay. the same game with a different theme. Okay. Oh, the guy has a calling card. I mean, it works. <laughs> it does it work. He's just like with Forbidden Island, like, good choice. Take, write that down. <laughs> I mean, and that's super cool. That's super cool when you have, it's like, this is the same mechanic, but themed differently. And it means that you get a really different perspective on it. I guess I don't want to, like, rip the guy too hard. Like, one has, like, tiles, and you're moving meeples around, and the right. other's, like, a world map, and you're, like, 
adding and taking off cubes. Like they're they're different, but they both have that, that discard pile goes back, back on, on top, top, and that's like yeah. the ultimate tension builder. Yeah, it makes yeah. your heart race kind yes. of moment. <laughs> yes, it puts a timer on the game because one of the ways you can lose is if there are enough outbreaks. Ooh, that's really good. Just that's... having multiple ways to lose yes. or, having... win <laughs> or win is having really cool too. Multiple paths is super interesting. I think my favorite mechanic is drafting, where basically you're given a choice of here are seven things, pick one, that pool of things you're choosing goes to the next player and you get something else and oh. you have six. I really like that. Azul has the same thing. King Domino has the same thing. So like a Sushi Go? You ever played Sushi, sushi Go? go? Yes. Sushi Go is also fantastic. Speaking <laughs> of like Sushi Go, we had with our D&D group, I think people were just kind of, it had been like a, a long session and we were like, the next time we meet up, do we just want to play games? And we played Sushi Go and like speaking of like dick moves. Oh yeah. Oh sushi goes so much fun with that. Yeah, so like in the rotation and the you know, you pass to one person, the two sisters in our group were like next to each other and one was passing to the other, and one's just like, You fucking asshole! You're taking all the things I need and you know I need them. That's <laughs> called hate drafting. Oh yeah. Which you already said. Oh, it's so much fun. Cause with sushi go. Uh, it's usually about eight different kinds of cards and you're trying to get different sets and do different things with those cards. So like one of the cards, if you get three of them, you get 10 points. Tempura is if you get two of them, you get five points. But each time you draft a card, you have to reveal it. So immediately that puts this whole tension of, well, wait, I know you need one more of the three of a kind, the sashimi. So if I just take that, you lose points and... I don't need anything else out of this hand. And I don't even need it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just taking it because I know you want it. Yeah, and that's... I like that as a tension in a lot of games. So there's a game called It's a Wonderful World, which is a weird name, but it's the same kind of idea where it's draft. You have to pick cards out, and then you build a tableau and build an engine. So you do a bunch of different things kind of all together. But as a part of it, when you take your cards, you can either build it, with the production that you make, or you can recycle the card for a resource. So you have this really interesting tension between recycling the cards that you need and building them, but maybe not having enough time to build them based on what you've produced. That game's super, super fun, and I really enjoy it. And people who are really good at it will see what you're trying to do and immediately be like, I want that card, that card, and that card. And it instantly puts a hole in your entire plan. <laughs> and it is super interesting and also wildly frustrating. I mean, it's not exactly board games like the drafting games, but it, with Sushi Go, you can choose which mechanics you have for the game. Yeah. So that's the cool part is like you can put different tiles out and, and sometimes that really screws you over if you don't fully understand what you're doing. Yes. <laughs> I think that's the case anytime you play a game the first yeah. time. So Sushi Go Party, because that there's Sushi Go, which has the original set of cards, and then Sushi Go Party. Or yeah. there's another one called Sushi Roll, which uses oh, dice instead of right. cards. That's right. If you're a dice person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you just prefer dice, you know, yeah. you just like the feel. Yeah, but Sushi Go Party has, I think it's 15 different sets of cards, basically, and you pick roughly seven or eight. So each game will feel a little bit different. You can play a game that's super cutthroat where all the cards are sort of zero sum, where if I get points, you lose points. 
Or if I draft this card and no one else does, I get points. If anyone else drafts a miso soup, nobody gets any points and we throw those cards in the bin. It's a big risk. <laughs> it's super cool to see all these little like, oh, this fits this way. And then if I do it with this, it forces people to think differently. Mm -hmm. It's really replayable. It's also super light and super quick. Like we played, I think, three games in like an hour and a half. Yep. And we chose different menus every time. The Which second we round was uh, interesting. That's the part where we screwed ourselves over because we're oh, like, yeah. this seems fun, this seems fun, this seems fun. Oh no, that's like every everyone loses points every round no matter what. <laughs> we, we've switched out every card, so now we don't know what anything does and we've picked stuff that's way harder to use. <laughs> yes. Oh no. Yeah, but it is quick. It, you know, it's for a drafting game and that was one of the things with like Arkham where it was kind of a drafting game but you had to make your deck before play the game we i think one of the things we did wrong like not wrong necessarily but made it more complicated for ourselves was we didn't keep the decks yeah <laughs> we, we shuffled them away and then went wait we need to rebuild that and it took forever to pull it back together yeah, yeah. yeah. see that's what i'm saying azul doesn't have azul just has thrown that thing out there it's just so perfect so, clean up your already the cleanup is the setup it's, oh, it's, yeah. so nice. it's just slide all the tiles <laughs> off dump them in it gives mm. weight to like whoever goes first you pick whoever goes first the next round but they get a one point penalty to do that mm. it's super cool what's, Azul is fun what's your favorite mechanic Maria I mean I don't play enough for it to like to really like have a preference for mechanics I just like it when you know you can end the game and still have a good time and want to play again that's the that's the mechanic I like is when everyone <laughs> wants to play again a satisfying <laughs> ending yes yeah like I don't there's pop out <laughs> I don't play enough board games. That's I don't, entirely I fair. don't play online like you do. That Those are entirely fair things. What yeah. is your favorite game? I don't know. Ticket to Ride's fun. Weirdly, like, Settlers of Catan because everyone else hates it. Mm, that's <laughs> what I was thinking of when you were saying, like, the Pandemic is the first modern board game. Yeah. A lot of people would say Settlers of Catan, but that's yeah. like... They're more than 20 years old now, too. But. Yeah, they're both on the same wavelength. I think Catan is the first Euro game. Yeah, it kicked off a genre. Yes. Mm -hmm. The milestone in the at history least, of board games. At least in the U.S. We're, again, we're all from the U.S., so take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I got, like, the first time I ever played Settlers of Catan, it was with Hunter and our friend Scott. And Hunter and Scott, who had played it before, were just basically trying to destroy each other. Oh, and yeah. then I was like, and I win. And they were like, wait, what? I was like, oh, yeah, I put that down and I win. And I scored my 10 points. And Scott, I think Scott's at seven. I'm at six. And I, we both kind of look over and we're like, we made a mistake. Yeah, we were I supposed think to that's pay attention the, to the, the biggest criticism I've heard for Catan is that there's no catch-up mechanic. If yes. somebody starts taking away, taking yeah. off with the win, they, they pretty much have it. And everybody else is just dragged along until it's over. Yeah, just make yeah. it stop. I, the thing is, though, is that I was never obviously in the lead, or at least not that they knew, because they weren't paying attention. You had drawn a bunch of cards that you didn't have to reveal right away, or you it wasn't on the board, it was, and Scott I and I were absolutely trying to block one another. Yes. And to do that, we needed resources from the other player. Mm -hmm. So we were just making trades with Maria freely, and it was like... <laughs> 
we have made a mistake. It's got a special place in my heart because it was such a sudden end to the game because I was just like, I think I win. <laughs> I have the points that I need. Oh, but, uh, I think I got bingo. I mean, ever since then, like, first of all, no one wants to play it just for that reason of like, when someone starts winning, it's over. You can't continue. And it is based on just like how you draw cards. And sometimes the cards just aren't in your favor. You know, I would always be like, who wants to play Settlers of Catan? Everyone's like, no. <laughs> I like Betrayal at the House on the Hill. I've only ever played that once. Tell me more. It's really fun. <laughs> Everyone's got their little meeple. And you can be like the kid. So, you know, a standard like group that goes in, you can be like, the man like a, a little kid you can have like and you're all like r- just regular people you know not i don't think anyone some some people have like different levels of sanity and health so like the kids usually because i guess they're like really optimistic and not cynical yet they've got really high sanity but not much health you know they're they're kind of like glass cannons in that aspect so you're going around choosing like you make tile you draw tiles you put the tiles together to make this house and each section has like suddenly you're you dropped into like the coal chute you know and you're now in the basement and or it's like you have to roll uh you have to do a strength check to open this safe and as the game progresses you have to do sanity checks Correct? I think it's... No. So you you can do sanity checks. Basically, you're building a house and exploring this house. And at some point, once you have discovered enough of the house, you make an omen roll. Right. It's the omens. Once you roll a number that exceeds the number of omens you've found, you go into the second phase of the game, which is the betrayal the phase. The betrayal. And, some, and so it's usually... I think it's the person that rolls... And like not always it depends on the betrayal there's a bunch of them. that is true like because it is different scenarios there's always a different scenario there can be different scenarios like sometimes someone because works for the witch that appears and sometimes some like it's like a random ass ghost that appears and that per- but your work the person who's the betrayer works with the villain and everyone else is like trying to like survive at this point i think each of us had like two or something like that or we we were playing just the two of us and i was the betrayer and i had like like minions that i could send so like frog minions and you had to take out roots of this tree and like the witch would like chase people you know it's so like being the betrayer can be fun you can have like it's like that little power trip while you're severe but it's only you so you're severely disadvantaged but it's a fun different mechanic that you get to try out it's a cooperative game that at some point in the middle of the game suddenly becomes an all v1 and that's not i wouldn't say unique but that's fairly uncommon in a lot of games having that switch or somebody's suddenly on the other side it's a very random game so i would say that's kind of one of the big knocks against it is some people don't like how random it is i think that's part of its charm and i think that makes it way better but i also can kind of understand where they're coming from i mean like depending on how the tiles flip your house can be like not helpful 
at all. You know, it's never pre, a house is never preset, so you can never get like an idea of what you're dealing with. So it makes strategy very difficult from play to play. Whereas like other games, you know, you're like, well, I've had this experience with the game board now. Now I have an idea of where I can change how I play. This time it's just like, hey, you failed the strength check, so you're dead now. A little bit like RPGs, but dead is dead. There's no death saving throws, so to speak. But I like it. I do. I'm fully for like the randomness of it. Like just never knowing what's going to happen. I think the betrayer mechanic is a lot of fun. So I would say like Settlers of Catan, I enjoy it for how much hate it breeds. I think it's more that people have played way too much of it in and, some cases. But Betrayal at the, ho- uh, at the House on the Hill, it's just a fun, random-ass game. If you're playing with the right people, it can just be a ton of fun. I think final question for Ross. Legacy games, yay or nay? Ooh, I like legacy games. Okay, that's kind of what I figured. Um, to explain what that question means, legacy games are games where the first game you play impacts all the games beyond it. Probably the most famous one is Pandemic Legacy, season one, I think. Because the there, there are there are three total. One is yes, called Zero. Season Zero, and it's a different game. <laughs> Pandemic Legacy is weird. Don't worry about it. But you play a game of Pandemic, and the decisions you make in that first game show up again in the second game, and it just you build out this entire thing, and it usually is a one-time play. But you're also playing, you know, 12 to 24 games of Pandemic, so it's a whole campaign that you string together. And once you're done with it, you kind of can go, that was fun and I don't need to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah that, that's the, the most common criticism you hear from people. It's like, well, why would I pay $70 for this game that I'm going to be writing with marker on the board yeah. and adding stickers and like I can only play it a limited number of times? And the counter argument is always, well, yeah, but you're going to play it. At least 12 times, which is yeah. more than you play your other games. Yeah. I'm going to pay... Se- why would I pay $70 for this to play it 12 times? Why That's would you 12 pay- times. <laughs> why would you pay $15 to see a movie for two hours? Like, <laughs> if you start thinking in that way, I I mean, I alluded to this earlier, start thinking in that way and some of the stuff starts to not line up correctly. Don't do that. Just enjoy the things that you enjoy. Have fun. I've, have fun. I've only played three legacy games and two of them were seasons of pandemic Mm -hmm. okay so i i'm not like a super versed legacy player which ones have you played none as it turns out okay we've played pandemic legacy we played the spy version we've never actually started pandemic legacy season zero we've played the first game and the set we went into the second no we never made it into the second game we we made promises that we would and then we did yes <laughs> we we set it up said we were going to and then realized that we did something wrong and we very quickly realized that neither of us had nearly enough brain power to figure this out and it was like you know what let's not make decisions now because that's going to just be bad <laughs> Arkham Horror is kind of a legacy game because it's a story. Yes. So that's the one we've played. played it's technically played a legacy game, but we haven't gone past the first level. We've made it we, for like for Pandemic or not Pandemic for Arkham Horror. We have made it into the first expansion. Yes. We set it up, looked at it, and I think we then tore it down because we went. Uh, neither of us have the brain power. We are both very tired. We did the first round, so like the first version of we it. We did the intro box. We played it a couple times. It usually ends with us kicking the zealot into the apocalyptic tornado. 
It's fine. It's so. Then, so oh, spoilers for Arkham Horror, the card game, but that came out, you know, ten, six years ago. Two, so if you're <laughs> upset about it, that's your problem. So, and then we played the second one. I just, I do like the story aspect of it because like, even though you are terrified, I love traveling around Miskatonic University. That is so that much was fun. Cool. Like, cause I, like one phase of it is you're running into the lab and then the giant lab monster comes out and it's running around campus now. And, and it's like, oh, that was weird. <laughs> just, keep, just keep moving. <laughs> Don't yeah. fight it. You're you're toast if you do. So is it is it legacy because you like carry your deck over from game to yeah. game? Yeah. Yeah, you build it's... your deck as you like we got one guy on our side now he's in my deck, for example. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it, legacy-esque, I guess is the way I would yeah. put campaign it. maybe. Campaign's probably a better word. Yeah. Yeah, I I played uh the Pathfinder card game and oh, it okay. sounds similar. Yeah. You only have a deck of, like, six to ten cards, but you carry it over from game to right. game. Honestly, very sounds cool game. better set up than um, the Arkham Horror-like decks. Because once you start with that deck, it's like, now I can't make any other decks. <laughs> mm. Like, I can't... If I wanted to play another character, it's like, that's going to take too much time, and I just don't... I mean, the other thing with Arkham Horror is that you can build your decks and have that be sort of the other part of the game outside of actually playing it. Like oh. with Magic, a big part of it is if you're building decks, that's outside of playing it and sort of that's a different activity, which is always interesting. If you like building decks, that's great. Right. Neither of us are familiar enough with the game to feel like we're confident with building the decks, but also neither of us have played the game enough to feel like we can get to the point where we're confident <laughs> to do it. There's a little bit of chicken and egg in that. I think someday, you know, we'll have like a holiday where we we aren't going anywhere. We don't have to be anywhere. And we'll just like do another like marathon of Arkham Horror. And I think that's actually part of why we haven't, we've bounced off of it. Because we've set it up where we're like, we're going to play this for like six hours and like try to mash through it. I think we need to get into more of a steady rhythm of like, we're going to play this once a week and like get into the rhythm of it. <laughs> but I think the key part of that is that timing. It, that's a bigger ask, and it ends up being a lot harder. Sort of the same deal with like trying to get a group for D&D or any role-playing game together. Having that consistency is really important. It's because, a commitment. Yeah, and you need to commit to it. But also, it's hard to know what you can commit to until you've done it or until you realize you've overcommitted, which is also rough. But board games are a lot lighter with that because you can say... Uh, no, I'm I'm done for now, <laughs> and we're going to put it on the shelf and put it away. I think the long and short of this entire episode has been board games are super fun. If the only games you've ever played are stuff like Monopoly and Life and all of that, those are also solid games. Like, they've been around for a long time. For a reason. Not just because everyone's played them, so they're an easy touch point. They're generally not bad, but there's also so much more that you can do with it. If you are at all interested, check out board games, check out reviews, see if there's something that you find interesting. There are so many board games that are coming out. Give them a try. If they don't work, eh, they don't work. But you might find something that you really enjoy. And I like that there can be a variety of player numbers. So it's not just like, well, now I have to find six people. Yes. Yeah. And different games play very differently at different player numbers. So I guess, final, final question. Swinging to Ross. Yeah, sure. 
favorite number of players in a game sort of arbitrarily like like across all games not across all games but like you're going to set up a board game night how many people do you want there i tend to like four okay i think four is a pretty solid number for a lot a lot of games kind of suffer from a problem where if you play with two players even though it supports it it's really not as good so cutthroat (laughs) and when you get to like five and six players that usually tends to be when the play time starts getting really long and you're waiting for your turn and it gets a little boring i think three to four is kind of the sweet spot yeah i agree i think three to four five ends up being super awkward because some games you can play with five, but the balance just feels slightly off. Four ends up being really nice because you can have that. It's either two on two or one on three, and all of that works out timing-wise. Yeah. I feel like maybe this isn't as much of a problem nowadays since there's so many games out there, but I feel like a lot of games are designed with four players in mind. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Four players is the sort of... That's the starting point, and there are a lot of games that work well at four and work not at all at any other player count. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If it's just you and a partner, there are games made for only two players. Yes. And they are actually good because that's how they're made. <laughs> yes. If, if you were looking for a game with a partner, find one that was designed for two. Yes. Yeah. Try Fog of Love if you're willing to be a little on the edge and really like storytelling in games. I've never played it, but I've seen lots of good reviews, and it looks super cool. But I also haven't played it, so maybe don't trust my opinion? (laughs) Who knows? I mean, you're listening to this. Yeah, so obviously... There is that. Your opinions are probably interesting, so hey, thanks for listening with us. Thanks for listening to us ramble. We've had our guest... Me, Ross! <laughs> and my co-host, Maria. Ross is very good at this. He's very professional. Um, yeah, I'm so great. A lot. <laughs> it's been great to have you. Thanks Thank for you joining us. for joining us. Thank you. All of you out there, like, share, and subscribe. Have a good rest of your day. Be safe. Treat each other kind. Goodbye! Bye-bye. Bye! Bye. Bye.